Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Yo, 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 yo. Thanks for tuning in. We are uh, less hood today. More like almost Fat Albert? <laughs> no, no. I was thinking more like a radio host. Okay. That's kind of what I was going for. But like, if you didn't catch it, then I guess it was a massive failure. Like like the 90s disc jockey kind of Casey Kasem? Kind of. Yeah. You know, Fun fact, I called in on a radio station one time and talked to a so-called psychic live on the air. Whoa. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> We're burying the lead. <laughs> Pastor Rod, we've known each other for almost seven years now, and, and I'm just now finding this out. And it gets even better than that, because I asked the psychic about my love life. <laughs> which I did not have. I was like 12 or 13 at the time. And okay. I called Kiss FM in uh, 102.7 Kiss FM back in LA. And I talked to their psychic live on air. It was it was amazing. It was an amazingly fun experience. And the guy was a complete sham. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> wow. Shocking. By the way, we don't endorse you calling or uh, visiting don't. psychics. That's not something. This is uh, this is pre-Christ. Pre-Christ. Uh, uh, PCPR. Uh, right. Pre-Christ Pastor Rod. That's right. Um, wow. Okay. I just thought you were going to say, I, I talked to a DJ. I was going to be like, well, that's a cool story. But then you threw the psychic in there. All no, right. No connection to what we're doing today. Well. I predict that oh. you are enjoying oh. the Daily Bible Podcast. What? Do you predict or do you prophesy? I or you... predict that you're about to enjoy the okay. Daily Bible Podcast All right. a little bit more because um, we're going to stop talking about psychics. But we are going to talk about Esther. Okay. Esther 4, 5, and 6. And then we're jumping into the book of Acts again, uh, second half of, of chapter 5 for the rest of it. Let's do it. We left off in Esther with this edict being signed by the king, and it's bad news. I mean, the Jews have this this termination date, extermination date that's that's fixed on the calendar, and the Persian king uh, Hazarus can't uh, can't undo it because it's the law of the Medes and the Persians that once it's been signed, you can't you can't make it un, unsigned. Think back to Daniel and the lion's den, right? I mean, it was a decree that was made, and once the king found out, man, this was Daniel. His heart was grieved, but he still threw him in the lion's den because yep. he couldn't he couldn't undo it. So this is a bad situation. And then Mordecai finds out about it in chapter four and he tears his clothes and puts on sackcloth and ashes, uh, which was, if you're wondering what in the world, um, that, that was the outward expression of grief and mourning during this time. That's what they would do to express the sorrow that they were feeling. And, uh, and it's not just sorrow over the edict, but probably some guilt going, oh man, I, I am sort of responsible for all of this. Uh, if you think back to the fact that, that it was his tension with Haman that led Haman to get so angry and go to the king and 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 get the king to issue this decree, Mordecai's probably sitting there going, man, I, I probably should have just buried the hatchet on this one mm. and, and not done this. Uh, but Mordecai alerts Esther. Uh, Esther. Well, Esther finds out about what's going on with Mordecai, and it says she's deeply distressed after she finds out what's going on. Uh, distressed. It's it's a word in the Hebrew that means she's terrified. She's trembling. She's quaking with fear over what's going on here. And she tries to get Mordecai to, to dress and come into the palace because nobody wearing sackcloth was allowed to come into the royal courts. So she even sends him some clothes, and uh, and he says no. Uh, but then he he gets a message to her where basically Mordecai asks Esther to risk her life uh, to, to save the people, to save, save the Israelites, their lives. Right? right? Yeah. And, uh, and the reason is, is because anyone couldn't just saunter into the king's presence. Uh, you had to be invited into the king's presence. And Mordecai was asking Esther to just go in unannounced, uninvited. 
And so she would have been taking her life in her hands. And, and she says as much to him. She goes, do you understand what you're asking me to do? And, and Mordecai has that yep. line where he says, yeah, I know exactly. And, uh, and he has this line where he, he doesn't mention God, but he's dancing all around it. And it's, it's right there when he says, who knows whether or not you have come, verse 15, to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows? Who God knows? knows? God knows, right? And how did she come to this place? Because God put her in this place. In fact, it's it's interesting. In verse 14, I think we see another thing. In fact, a lot of commentators will see this is this is the closest reference to God that we have here. When Mordecai says, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. In other words, God's going to preserve his people somehow mm-hmm. is Mordecai's confidence there. Esther uh, gets the, the, the message. She, she resolves herself and she says, okay, I'm going to go do it. And she says, if I perish, I perish. Um, Put that on a t-shirt. Yeah. If I perish, I perish. That's some godly faith right there. I don't know where she's at at this point, but that that's, that's a godly attitude. It seems like it. That's yeah. a risky faith. Yeah. Yeah. And I wish, don't you wish Pastor Rod that we knew more about where she was at? Man, both of them, her yeah. and Mordecai. And tell me more about their, their lives. And maybe that's the point that, that, it's, it's God's always using imperfect people because that's all he's got to work with. Right. But even amidst an ungodly leadership, an ungodly queen, perhaps, God's still at work. Right. So Esther decides, I'm going to prepare a banquet. And she prepares the banquet. And she goes into the king, though, at, at first to, to announce this and, and to invite him. And the king sees her and he doesn't immediately kill her. Why? Because God is sovereign. Because God's orchestrating all of these things. Even the actions of this pagan king. She wins favor in his sight. He holds out the scepter, which was the sign, hey, you've been accepted. I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> and, uh, and Esther moves forward and invites the king and Haman to this party that she is planning, to this feast that she's planning. Um, and then it, it, the, the king says, uh, great, we'll do it. And then uh, they have the, the feast part one. And she says, okay, he says, I'm going to offer you anything that you want again. And she says, okay, how about a, another feast, another party? Uh, Pastor, what are your thoughts here as to why she's seemingly delaying in this situation? I think I see God's active hand in even giving Esther that sense of not yet. Text doesn't say that. This is me guessing. I'm kind of reading between the lines here. It seems like even amidst her hesitation, God's giving direction through her intuition to say, maybe this is not the right time. He's not in the right mood. Um, There's always a lot of drinking going on here. And I see that quite a bit. So perhaps he's not in the right mood because in part of his drinking, Mm. even though at the next party that they go to, the drinking returns. So I think it's the intuition spirits working through her, even through her saying, I'm not going to do this yet. Right. From here, Mordecai leaves the and and this is kind of in between the the two feasts here. Mordecai leaves and goes away and goes to his home and he's excited because he's won favor not just with the king but also with the the queen, and he thinks life is great. And yet there's still this situation of Mordecai, and so Haman is frustrated. He's talking to his wife, he's talking to his family, and they say, "Well, why don't you just stomp him out, kill just, him, just kill him?" And so he sets the this gallows fifty cubits high to be made in the morning. And, and he tells the, the, the king to have cubit? Mordecai hung on him. How much is a cubit? 50 cubits is a cubit was about 18 inches. So, so 50 cubits by 50 is a, really high. Carry the one <laughs> don't know the number, but it, I know it's high. It's over. It's 75 feet, right? 75. Really? It's a foot and a half. Is? Hold on. Where's my phone? If it's a foot and a half times 50, right? So one times 50 would be 50 feet. Okay. And then you've got another, then you've got another six inches. So 25 feet on top of 50 feet. That would make sense. So it's 75 feet. Okay. We're going to go with that. 75 feet high. Seems a bit excessive. It does. 
but but it, the, the the divine irony that <laughs> that happens is foreshadowing uh, spoiler alert in this book is 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 humorous and uh, and i just wrote next to it kind of my title for this is the stage is set um <laughs> your title's return <laughs> chapter six uh it says that night the, the king couldn't sleep, gives orders to bring the book of the memorable, memorable deeds of the Chronicles, and they're read before the king. And here again, we see God's sovereignty. Because right before this is all about to unfold, the king can't sleep at night and wants the history of his kingdom read to him. And he's reminded of Mordecai's favor, uh, grace towards him to, to tell him of this plot to take out his life. And he has that good thought about Mordecai in his uh, mind here. And he asks him, well, what's been done for, for Mordecai? And they say nothing. So the king, again, humorously calls Haman in and asks Haman, hey, what, what, what do you think should be done for somebody the king's heart delights in? And, and Haman thinks, oh, he's talking about me. Yeah. So he like, well, you, you should do this and you should do this and he should ride in a Corvette convertible and he should have like the, the nicest Corvette. things, right? The yeah. king's Corvette. And then the king says, okay, go and do all that for Mordecai. <laughs> oh, that's got to be a low blow for him. It does. Absolutely. And yet in the back of his mind, he's like, yeah, but I've got the 75 foot tall gallows. So everything's going to be okay. But he does. He goes and does it for Mordecai. And uh, again, the, the, the sovereignty of God on display there, even in chapter six. So uh, the, the stage is really set for the culmination, which will be in tomorrow's reading in the rest of the book of Esther. But it's still a tense situation. There's still no clarity as to what's going to happen here. And even again, even if things go well, what can possibly be done from a human perspective here? Mm. I mean, the, the king has signed this law. The Jews are as good as dead. And, and yet they're still operating. They're still moving forward in faith, trusting that God can do something to undo the things that have been done. I think it's, it's cool to see. I mean, I'm looking at verse two in chapter six here. It was found written about how Mordecai had told about Bigthana and Teresh. Uh, I like even, uh, you like that name, Bigthana? I do like Are the name Bigthana. <laughs> name your next kid, Bigthana. I, I like how the author kind of alludes to God's interaction with the passive verb here. It was found. Like, it just kind of happened to show up. We know that God's actively ordaining these things in order to set up the people to be saved. But as you're the reader or you're the one living through this experience, you don't know what's happening. Here's something I found to be especially helpful as I read through this. One of the things that kind of repeated in my mind is nothing is an accident. Mm. Even, I mean, Mordecai's ascension is going to come. Oh, I should have warned you. Spoiler alert. Esther's ascension has come and she's in a critical place at the critical time. That's not an accident, even though it was a sinful ascent. She shouldn't have been there in the first place. She shouldn't have been engaged in a beauty contest. That's just not the way God wants things. However, even through that, God sets up his people to be saved. Nothing is an accident. And that's true even for the red light. You hit a red light when you're trying to go for that green and the guy in front of you wasn't going fast enough. You got the red light. You're sitting there now thinking, I'm wasting time at this stoplight. That's not an accident. God has you there for a purpose. Every detail of your life is there on purpose. Now, you not, might not be able to know, this, know the reason why, but it's there on purpose. So you, it sounds like you're saying God's sovereignly ordaining all of our events and, and choices and decisions that we make in our lives for a purpose. I, I would agree that God is in charge of all things at all places and in all times. And that humans have significance and meaningful choice in the matter, Pastor PJ. Okay. I see your snarky laugh. Hey, you know what? Let's just, let's have this out right now on the podcast. Let's do this. <laughs> the theological clubs are coming off. <laughs> we, we've got to get to Acts chapter five. Okay. We've next got time. to honor their time. Next time.
because God has ordained that we turn to oh, Acts chapter five. <laughs> We're going to do a bonus podcast and it's going to be all about Pastor PJ's and Pastor Rott's uh, maybe slight disagreements on this or that topic. I, listen, I had a free real choice whether or not I wanted to engage with you <laughs> and yet God had ordained that I shouldn't engage with you. You had you should a go to free will choice? Was it free? It was a, a free libertarian freedom. Was it, Listen, was it the kind of freedom apart from God's interaction? I am a hundred percent responsible for my decisions and choices in life. And God is a hundred percent sovereign over those decisions okay. and choices in life. Okay. Well, see, that sounds like a lot, something a lot closer to, to what I would suggest. Um, anyway, Acts chapter five, Acts chapter five. Now that we've thoroughly lost some of our people and the rest of our people are yelling at their, their devices right now. They're arguing with us. I'm with, Team PR. I'm with Team PPJ. I don't even know what the teams are right now. I, just, I don't know either. <laughs> but God does because He's sovereignly ordained it all. Okay. Uh, um, the, the speaking of His sovereignty, in Acts chapter five, the the apostles are they again find themselves in the the crosshairs of the Jews, and the Jews arrest them. And while they're arrested, they put them in prison. It says in verse 19, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. In other words, get back to work, right? I freed you, go back to work. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And it's kind of humorous. The the religious leaders, they come to expect to find them in the, the jail. They go to the jail. They're not there. Right. They go and find that they're on the temple. And they, they kind of like tap them on the shoulder. And they're like, hey, can you guys come with us again? We've got some <laughs> more questions for you. We'd like to arrest you, please. <laughs> right. It says they're afraid of being stoned by the people. And they're probably also just embarrassed and kind of going weak we don't really understand what's going on here. And so they, they bring them back and they set them before the council and they question them and they say, Hey, we told you to stop doing this. And there's the COVID line again in verse 29, when Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed. Again, here's Peter bold. What changed Peter? The resurrection. And that's what the book of Acts is all about. The witnesses to the resurrection. And they're pointing to that. And, and Peter is saying, you killed him. And, and we're here to talk about what God has done by raising him from the dead. And that's what we're here to do. And this is for the, 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 the forgiveness and repentance, the repentance rather, and the forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy spirit. Then they get into the situation where they want to kill them. But now we have Gamaliel stand up and Gamaliel, you'll remember potentially Gamaliel is the, the tutor of a, a young man at the time who would come on to be pretty significant in the rest of the scriptures. And that is the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul was a, a student under Gamaliel. He was one of the leading uh, religious figures, religious leaders in Israel, a teacher in the law. It says they're held in honor by all people. Verse 34. And he stands up and he quiets them down. He says, men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. And basically he says this, look, we need to be careful lest we be found opposing God. If this is of God, nothing we do is going to stop them. And if we try, we're going to be on the wrong side. Right. But if, if this is just of, of men, then let's, let's chill for a little bit and it'll die out on its own. It's, it's really pretty wise counsel from Gamaliel. That's great, man. He's a wise dude. After that, they, they call the apostles in. It says they, they beat them verse 40. So now it's, it's escalated. Right. Yeah. Unjust. I, right. I read that. I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, how do you get away with that? Just the, it. Yeah. They're just angry. It's like when your kids are fighting with each other and the one comes to get the other one in trouble and they don't get what they want. So and then you on, beat them all. Right. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> but on the way back, they kind of like punch their sibling just to get their own pound of flesh out of it, even though they're like, yeah. okay, yeah, we didn't get what we wanted. But they, they leave in verse 41, the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the dishonor of the name. That's what amazing. A, what an amazing thought that is, that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. 
And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease. They, they didn't stop. They were told to stop. They Can't stop, won't stop. Beaten to stop. Uh, but they didn't stop. They kept teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. So twice now, you've brought up the COVID passages. And I, I know for some people, those are the very passages they might have used to talk about some of the restrictions that we saw, at least in California. Yep. Um, tell me tell me then, or tell our, our audience, if, is there anything wrong with that? Is that an illegitimate use of those texts? And if so, what correction or encouragement might you give them to, to read these passages more faithfully? Yeah, great, great question. Great point. It really comes down to when, when somebody would say, okay, the government's telling me I need to wear a mask, but whether I must obey God or Caesar, you know, that's, that's for God to do. I'm going to obey God. The Bible doesn't give us any instructions anywhere, at least because we looked, believe me, we, we spent time when COVID was coming, cracking down hard in California. The, the Bible doesn't say thou shalt not wear a mask. And so it's not a matter of clear scriptural obedience to God that's being questioned there. And so in that sense, to to grab that verse and say, and I'm not saying whether it was right or wrong for you to put on a mask. That's not what I'm here to argue. What I'm here to argue is to grab a verse out of context and make it mean something that it never meant is not what we're called to do with the scripture. This is about when we are instructed by the government to do something that we know God has commanded us not to do, or when the government tells us not to do something that we know God clearly has commanded us that we are to do. That's when we as Christians today can quote from what Peter says here and say, you know what? We're going to choose to obey God and not man in that. So that does that help? Does that clarify some? Yeah, I think so. And I would only add to that, being a good Bible student is to take text and to take them slowly, thoughtfully, carefully, and not to simply use them as a band-aid for some of the things that, the frustrations or the the upset feelings that we might have for some of the things that our government did. Um, And even, I guess, some, some of them continue to do. So I I would agree with you in that, and and I would encourage all of us as Bible students, this is why it's so important to go through our Bibles every every day, every year, because understanding and applying scripture is is not always that clear cut. We do ourselves a disservice and our families and others who who look to us as as leaders when we carelessly or uh, too quickly apply texts that appear to say something but require a great deal of care and concern and how we apply them. This this verse is, is one of them. Two of the, the two verses that we've seen in the past few days, um, they take a, a great deal of effort and care to do them well. 100%. Well, how about one more doggy bag for you as we close the, the, the podcast? Something for you to take away. Just a little nugget. It's real simple, but it's important there. End of verse 42, you'll notice that it says, preaching that the Christ is Jesus, right? Pastor Rod, I've never said the Gomez is Pastor Rod. Yeah, that's interesting. I've I've never heard you say that. Because Gomez is your last name, but Christ Mm -hmm. was not Jesus's last name. Oh, And here we see it laid out very plainly. The Christ is Jesus. Christ, Christos in the Greek, it comes from the the concept of the anointed one. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, here's your your Hebrew pronunciation, two of them in the back-to-back days now. Mashiach meant uh, Messiah. Um, meant, <laughs> meant Messiah or anointed one. This is the title for Jesus being the Christ, the Christos, the, the Messiah, the long awaited one. And so when it says they were preaching that the Christ, the Messiah is Jesus. What was Jesus' last name? Probably Bar Joseph, because mm-hmm. Jesus was the son of Joseph, mm-hmm. at least uh, from a, an earthly perspective. Right. So there you go. Just a, a quick little note at the end here as we wrap up another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you. We'll catch you tomorrow. See ya. 
Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.